This podcast is made possible by the Social Voice Project. This is Tony Lavorna from Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast. Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast explores the history and tales of ghost stories, mysterious crimes, murders, UFOs, witchcraft, and other occult happenings still thriving in the greater Ohio Valley region of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, and beyond. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have with us Ms. Becky Travgalini from the Cripple Crick Paranormal Organization. How are you today, Becky? Great, Tony. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for asking me. You bet. Becky has actually, ladies and gentlemen, been doing this probably for over 20 years collectively, but most recently, within a year and a half, she has become certified as a paranormal investigator. Is that correct, Becky? Right, right. That's fantastic. Now, Becky, as a paranormal investigator, what is your function? What do you do on these investigations? Tell our listeners, please. Okay, I don't want to say I'm a ghost hunter. Ghost hunters, you're going into a place where there's no known activity or you don't know what you're getting into. As an investigator, we're me especially, I'm going into a place that I know has paranormal activity or I've been told has activity. So I just want to investigate it and try to prove or disprove what the people's claims are. Okay, so when you go to these places, now how do these people contact you directly, Becky? How do they contact you or how would they get in touch with Cripple Crick to get some help with these investigations? I'm actually on Facebook, on facebook.com slash Paranormal. I have that site. I also have my email address there. You can email me or you can give me a call. My number's on the site. Becky, tell us, how did you first become interested in the paranormal and investigating to become an investigator? I, I have to imagine that's pretty difficult work. It's not easy to do. So tell our listeners no, a little bit about that. You've got to be used to being alone, in the dark, crawling in things, out of things, under things. I've always had an interest all my life, a curiosity, not an interest. But then I started to lose a lot of family and friends rapidly, 10 or 12 within a 10-year period. Oh, my. And I just needed, for myself, I needed to know, is this it or is there more? And what have you found so far? I found there's more, a lot more. Tell us a little bit about how one goes about becoming a paranormal investigator. I mean, is there schooling? Is there a course? Does someone need mentored? What, what does it well, entail? Actually, actually, you can take courses. I took a few through W&J College. I was at Washington Jefferson out of, out of, College? Right, Washington Jefferson. And the beginner classes, they'll tell you what each piece of equipment is, how you can use that piece of equipment, why that piece of equipment's used. They're okay to take 
which I highly recommend for a beginner. But basically, it is just learned over time. Have to be in the field. You have to be out in the field. And for every one EVP, which is an electronic voice phenomenon that you catch, you're going to listen to 5,000 hours of nothing to get one. So this isn't like shooting fish in a barrel here, folks. Oh, no, We're no. talking, you're, you're, the odds are not exactly in your favor. Is exactly. that what you're saying? Exactly. Tell our listeners, you said EVP is one. Could you maybe give them an idea of some of the other equipment that is often used in these investigations? Sure. Uh, an EMF detector, what that does, it reads the energy in the room. Because when you think about it, spirits and ghosts, they don't have arms or legs. They really can't do anything. They have to work off of your energy. So there's no physical form to this. This is no. working off of some type of some invisible type of an, energy exactly. in the atmosphere, exactly. in the air. In the, in the atmosphere, you'll see a lot of times people on TV will say, oh, my camera batteries died. Batteries are energy. The spirits are feeding off of that energy. Is that w- why sometimes these, these batteries or cell phones, people go to these uh, sightings or investigations like yourself, you often hear them say, our power is drained or the, the right. phones are shutting off. Right. Right. You're, that, saying, you're saying that these entities draw exactly. off of the electrical. Exactly. And when that happens, if you're in a group of people and a couple of them say, my batteries just went dead, they're, not, they're gone, they're drained or my light keeps going off and on, that's a pretty good indication that you have some spirit activity in that room because something's taking that energy. You know, something's pulling off of it. So we have the electronic uh, voice recorders or, mm-hmm. or a voice box. What, what is that exactly? A lot of different people have different ones. Your basic little digital voice recorder. Anybody, you can go anywhere, you can buy one, you can get one. You record, just turn it on and let it record. As you're talking, as you're going through the group, then on playback, once in a great while, it's very hard to get them, but once in a while, you'll be able to hear the difference as compared to like you and I talking, and you may hear a whisper that's talking over us or the sound of a table banging, something that you can't hear with your naked ear. Okay. If you can't hear it and it's on the voice recorder, there are again chances of a spirit in the room. Just to allow our listeners to know, I've worked with Becky in the past, um, and I also know that she incorporates another technique commonly used, and that is the dowsing rod. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that practice, Becky, why you do that, what that is, and what it entails? Yeah, dowsing rods go all the way back through time to the early 1800s. The farmers used to use them to find water on the property. They would walk along if the rods crossed, that meant dig, dig for the well there. Well, water is basically energy. So if you're out in the field and you have the dousing rods and you start to ask some questions and they start moving on their own, chances are you have a spirit in the room. And I've had a couple experiences where they have just gone bananas. And I know I'm not moving them. Really? Intriguing. And they're spinning back and forth. Now, why do you think that is? Is it the activity of the ghost? What, what's going on Oh, yes. There? I'll give you an example. We were out investigating out at Castle Blood in Manesson. And I knew my best friend, he'd been gone nine years. He grew up in Manesson. He hung out in Belvernon. We'd been friends for over 40 years. Well, he had, was deceased. The cemetery was right above the Castle Blood. So I got the dousing rods out, and just by asking different questions, 
he was able to move the dousing rods to let me know he was there. He knew I was there. And I even said, where's my sister at? And he swung both rods around and pointed directly to my sister who was sitting beside me. Amazing. It's Amazing. just, I mean, the spirits are made of, up of energy. Now, do all paranormal investigators use the same type of equipment or techniques, or does everyone have their own specialized method? You have to learn how to what your best way is. Me, I'm very old school. I'm not going to go in there and taunt and tease and demand that a spirit come speak to me. Would you talk to your grandmother that way? Certainly not. My grandmother slapped me. Surely. <laughs> My technique is I go in very respectful. You know, I'm here to talk to you. I don't want to harm you in any way. If you want us to leave, we'll leave. I have very little gadgetry. I have my dosing rods, my voice recorder, my EMF detector, and my motion sensor. So what do you rely most heavily on? Me, I rely on the dosing rods. The dosing rods. Yeah. I've been told by a couple of people that I kind of have a knack for the dosing rods, so I rely on them. I would imagine, too, probably observation or... Oh, yeah, definitely. Other people have a lot of real fancy equipment like you see on TV. You know, the, the voice, the ghost box, and I have to laugh at the ones from Tennessee that always say they're going to catch the ghost in a box and take it outside and let it go. No, you're not. <laughs> Why is that? Why is that? <laughs> if a ghost can come through a door, don't you think he can get out of that box? <laughs> no, certainly. I would, I would have to believe that, sure. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people have the really expensive stuff. I just don't rely on that myself. I rely, like you said, sight, sound, and smell. Because it was basically hearing, observation, exactly. techniques your senses. as well. Your, your senses. senses. Now, let me ask you this. What, what was, tell our listeners, what was one of your most favorite cases that you've been out on? That would have to be down in Gettysburg. That was one of the first times I went on one. Now, Gettysburg seems to be a place of a lot of activity. Uh, I guess the popular theory is because of the battles. Because of the, the battle, war. right. Right, um, and the things that went on behind the battles. The politics of the time, or what are we no, talking here? give you for instance, I went to, it was an investigation into the children's orphanage. Okay. It's a museum now, but it was an orphanage. And I can't remember the woman's name that ran it, but she was so horrible to these kids. She would take them in the basement, and she would chain them to the walls. Oh, my. If you walk through the basement, down the hall, there was a little dungeon area. And what was the history behind this? Why were these children being mistreated and chained like this in the basement? She was just a wicked, evil person. And most of the kids were there because their fathers were killed in the Battle of Gettysburg. Their moms couldn't take care of them, or they got separated from their family. When the investigation I went on, I'm not afraid to get dirty. I'll climb in anywhere. I don't care. I went down the hall, climbed up this little embankment, and crawled into that room. I had to have taken a Every bit of 75 photos. Nothing on any photo except one. One photo out of one, 75, but that was, the, that was the money shot, huh? Right. And Tell us about that. Not so much as being the money shot as to what I saw with my own eyes. There was me and another gentleman. In, we was going to only fit two people in this room. We're taking pictures, and all of a sudden I heard him like catch his breath, and he reached over. He said, did you see what I saw? I said, do you see a little boy sitting down, crouched by the fire? He said, exactly. We both saw it with our naked eye. There was a little boy, couldn't have been maybe more than three or four years old, crouched down in a corner by where they used to put the fires and stuff, like he was trying to get warm. You and he, just to clarify, physically saw 
an image or apparition exactly. of a child kind of huddling against exactly. the, the hearth of a, of exactly. a fireplace. Exactly. You and another individual there at the same time. Right, and I have no idea who the man was, never exchanged names. I just, he was there that night. That's simply amazing. Was that the only evening, or rather the only incident that night at the Gettysburg uh, Orphanage? Or A couple other people said they heard sounds of knocking and they could hear like marbles running on the floor. I didn't hear any of that. All I, did, all I got was the sight of the little boy. And that's, that's enough to shake you for a long time. I'm sure it has. You probably could tell our listeners many stories. How do you feel that these things affect you? How do they affect you as a person, as an individual? They make me feel like I'm getting closer to my goal of proving that this isn't all there is. That there's I mean, something I, hereafter. Right. Yeah, I mean, nothing scares me. My theory is they have no arms and legs. What are they going to do? So what exactly then would it be fair to say that the mission of Cripple Creek uh, Paranormal is then? Basically just to try to prove what I already know in my heart, that, that it's not it, that we can communicate with the dead. And we can possibly help them on, or they can help us while we're here. And how many out of these cases do you feel have, have like personally touched you? Because it sounds to me like you've been on quite a few cases. Yeah, I've been on quite a few. I would say maybe three. Three that have really hit home. Yeah, that have really touched the spot. There's one, Green County Historical Society and Museum. And I've been there three times. I'm going again in May. I love this place. Just through the use of my dowsing rods, my flashlight, you can buy these little mag lights anywhere. You can get them to the dollar store. And there's what they call a sweet spot, where it's almost on, almost off. It's right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Well, by using those, my dowsing rods and my voice recorder, we were able to find out that there's a spirit of a young man. His name is Robert. He's between 15 and 20 years old. He lives there with his parents. His parents are there with him all the time, and he was an only child. And I love going. Every time I go, we get more responses. I'll get him to knock. If you do a shave and a haircut, he'll knock back. He'll turn my lights off and on. He'll make the EMF detector go crazy. Do you think that children have a easier time communicating with us than others who have passed over or yeah I don't think it makes a difference from their point of view has been able to connect with us but I know is for the living it's much much easier for a child to see a spirit to hear a spirit to, to sense one is there because they haven't had that ingrained in them they're not there are no ghosts they don't have any fear yet so it's easier for them to see and hear things you feel they're more open-minded oh, yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. That's incredible. Let me redirect your attention to something that happened to you recently. Uh, last October, ladies and gentlemen, I was lucky enough to be invited to this event. Uh, it was held by the Allegheny Land Trust uh, of uh, McKeesport, Pennsylvania. Becky was there uh, along with Cripple Creek Paranormal and some friends from the Ohio Paranormal Investigation Team Mm -hmm. out of Ohio. Uh, As a part of this event, uh, the Land Trust uh, conducted a fundraising program to better understand what the Land Trust does and the ways that it helps to improve the environment. Uh, The old Pittsburgh and Lake Erie Railroad Trail used to run through that area. It's been converted to 
a bicycle trail for people's enjoyment today. Uh, Dead Man's Hollow lines the Yokogany River Trail outside of McKeesport, as I said. It's situated between Boston, PA, and Elizabeth Townships. Uh, today, as I said, it's the nature preserve. It spends roughly 400 acres and is operated by the land trust itself. Now, they had a function uh, in this area, and this area is commonly known or referred to as Dead Man's Hollow. And there are several different, very distinctive uh, folklore legend tales that are involved right. with this region. Right. Uh, some of them historically documented, let's right. just say it that right. way, historically documented. Uh, so there's <clears throat> many things to see there upon these trails in the preserve. You can see the gullies and cross paths. They have beautiful surroundings and the vegetation. But unlike the industry, which is long faded away by the vegetation, there's something else, uh, something else that's refusing to fade away. And that's probably the spirits who are said to haunt that region of Dead Man's Hollow. Every autumn, a ghost is said to make its presence known in Dead Man's Hollow. And it does so by rustling leaves and sometimes making eerie sounds mm -hmm. uh, in the surrounding area and woods uh, to the unfortunate who are around to hear it. We actually experienced both those that night. The you did, of, uh -huh, yes. The yes, rustling you did, leaves, indeed. the footsteps. And well, I want you to tell us a little bit about some of those, um, the origins of some of those legends, Becky, because I know you know them pretty okay. well. And I'd, I'd like to start there if you could tell us a little bit about those legends and, and then maybe expound on what you actually found that night conducting your investigations. Okay. Uh, the first one is in 1880. There was a gentleman, his name was George McClure. He owned a dry goods store, pretty close to Dead Man's Hollow. Well, a gentleman by the name of Ward McConkie came in, robbed the store. Well, Mr. McClure is like, no, you're not taking my stuff. He chased, the, chased this gang all the way down to Dead Man's Hollow. A gunfight broke out. Mr. McClure was shot and killed on the property, right where the main buildings are. He was shot and killed there. Mr. McConkie was eventually found guilty, and he was hung on the grounds of the Allegheny County Jail. Then in 1883, there was an explosion. There were four men killed. They were working in the factory. They decided, because it was so bitter cold, they were going to warm their dynamite up by the fire. Let's get this straight. They're trying to warm themselves up by a fire. Right. Uh, their dynamite is frozen that they were going to use as a part of their workday, uh, so they came up with a good idea to heat dynamite up by fire. Is exactly. that right? Okay, so to go ahead. To warm it up. Okay. Caused an explosion. All four men were killed instantly. In 1893, there was a gentleman. He was he walked through the property every every evening. Well, one night he tripped and fell, and he, not sure if he hit his head or why he passed out, but when he came to, he took off running back to town, told people that there was a 40-foot snake roaming in the woods, and that's why he come running out so fast. That there was allegedly a 40-foot 40 40 snake foot. within the woods of the hollow. Yeah. So this has become kind of, of a local legend, kind of like right, a Loch Ness. Right, because, I mean, be. there's, there's no proof there's any kind of a snake there that size. They, a lot of people think that the legend was started because they used to have their stills down there. 
Oh, moonshining. Moonshiners skills. used to have their stills down there. When you tell people it's a forty foot snake, they're not they don't want moonshine that bad. Absolutely. They're gonna risk getting eaten by a forty foot snake. So that dispels the uh, the yeah. snake theory. Well, yeah. let me let me loop around one story uh, that you were telling us, and I, it was one in the beginning there at Dead Man's Hollow, uh, the story of uh, Ward Conkey, who was convicted of the crime, I think in 1881. He was actually hung a few later years later, actually in the 83, uh, by my reports. Um, I think he was only 19 years of age when he died, and right. uh, he had made. Uh, some type of uh, a quote where he said, you know, I think you're convicting uh, an innocent man. Uh, and uh, do, do you know what he, what he said or what he had quoted on that? His, allegedly, his last words were, goodbye, all you murderers. Goodbye, all you murderers. Yeah. So do you think perhaps maybe it's his ghost that could be one it of could these be. ghosts? A person doesn't have to be killed on the property in order for them to haunt that property. They're going to go back to some place that was common for them, some place they felt comfortable. Well, if after he robbed a store, he ran right there, obviously he felt very comfortable. Even though he was hung many miles away, he's going to go right back to where he he's was comfortable. He's going to gravitate right to, to where, he, where was he was familiar with the exactly. area, and perhaps exactly. even the scene right. of the incident. I understand. I believe in 1887 there was a, a tale of a man, Mr. Edward Woods, who drowned in the Yokogany River. Is that right? Right. That drowning is has been documented. Apparently, he was he, on the ferry. They used a ferry to cross back and forth. Apparently, he fell off the ferry and drowned. That is documented. There's an undocumented legend that on another ferry trip, there were two couples, two women and two men, were going to cross the river. They said the ferry was too, too heavy, so one gentleman got off. He stayed back on shore. The ferry went across, it capsized, killed the two ladies, but the second man was able to swim back to shore. Now, there's no documentation on that, but the night we investigated, I got a lot of responses every time I asked, are you one of the ladies that drowned here in the river? Now, where did you get these responses? Can you tell our listeners? Uh, right along the railway tracks, right along the river. The, the tracks run right alongside the river. As the Okagany River. Exactly, of. right. So I just walked up onto the tracks, and I figured I can't get any closer to the river. My motion detectors were going off. The EMF lights were going off, the dousing rods. I even had a couple other people hold the dousing rods just you know, to prove to them that it wasn't me. I wasn't manipulating, and they actually moved on them also. My goodness, that's quite the story there. That's what I like to do. If I'm doing an investigation and the rods are moving... I'll take the rods and I'll give them someone else. Say, okay, this is how you hold them, this is how you do it, and let's see if they'll talk to you. And nine times out of ten, they will. If there's a spirit ready to manipulate them, they're going to do it no matter who's holding them. So you bring up some brave people who are there. Yep, and, say, and it's usually the kids. It's usually, usually the, the children. Kids are, they, have, they have no fear. They have no fear of it. That's amazing to me. I don't know. That's still amazing to me. In 1905, there was a man by the name of uh, Mike, is it, is it Sakos or Sako? I think, I think it's Sako. Sako. Okay. T tell us a little bit about what happened to this unfortunate gentleman, because I think this is like legend number five or six of the seven. Yeah, he was actually, he was leaving for work in uh, September of 1905, and it's been reported that he pulled the rope to lower the elevator, but the elevator began to go up instead. He jumped from the elevator in an attempt to reach a second floor. His body became wedged between the second floor ceiling and the floor of the elevator, and he was crushed to death. 
and you can actually, st- if you go down there, you can actually still see the elevator shafts. Of the building, mm-hmm. of the original building of the original where Mr. Building Sarkos died. Where he died. The, ele- the elevator shaft is still there. Becky, I'm going to turn this around a little bit. You tell us, you were the paranormal investigator. Tell our listeners, what was your findings that night? Because I know you guys did conduct many different investigations on site that evening in different locations. Right, Some we, was had three different, we, had, we had three different groups stationed at different places. I was up on the riverbank. One of the other young ladies was down by the elevator shaft. And then Melissa, who owns Ohio Paranormal, she was up in the tunnels. Uh, would that be Melissa Rhodes Hornbeck? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I can say without a doubt that there's something there. Something is definitely there. I mean, Melissa, she caught different things on her voice recorder. My dowsing rods were going crazy. And the best part of the night, we were standing there. It was maybe six or seven in my group, and I was talking. And it was dark. I had a flashlight but in my pocket. We heard footsteps coming up the path. So I'm thinking, okay, it's a late latecomer. I flipped the flashlight up, and there's nobody there. But you could hear the footsteps. Two ladies beside me turned and looked at me, and they said, did you hear those footsteps? I said, yeah, I did. Well, as it turned out, my daughter was standing directly across from me, and the footsteps come up behind her. Well, as soon as it happened, she said, yeah, I heard those footsteps. Well, halfway through the night, I'm not sure what I heard. By the time she got home, she, I didn't hear nothing. <laughs> so she was a little bit, of, she was recanting a little yeah, bit of what she felt. I don't want to say she's a skeptic. Okay. And I don't want to say she's a believer. I think she's afraid to believe. Somewhere in between, kind of the gray area. How many cases do you feel you probably get a year to to people who who feel that there's activity uh, and need help with? It depends on the group. I'm a very small group, so I only get maybe one or two. Other groups where they may have 25, 30 members, they could get them every weekend. It's based on how many people in your group, how often you can get out. And I just had a woman contact me last week. She lives in a house up behind Washington and Jefferson College, and she needs help. She's hearing voices. She saw a man standing at the foot of her bed. Her son's been scratched, pounding on the walls, water shutting off and on. So we're trying to gather up enough people to go up and check out, see what's up there. Now, the evening of that night at Dead Man's Hollow, I saw something interesting, and I'd like to go over this, if I may, with you for our listeners. Um, I often see, too, when, when you folks arrive, and by that I mean the investigators of a paranormal, you sometimes gather in a circle, mm-hmm. I've noticed. Can you tell our listeners a little bit of why that happens? I've noticed it at a few different occasions. It's basically like a prayer circle. A prayer circle. A prayer circle. We're just asking for the protection to protect us, to protect everyone there so that there's no... Nothing attaches to anybody. Nothing decides to go home with anybody. That can happen. That can happen. Yeah. Have you had firsthand experience with that? Only once. And it wasn't through an investigation or anything. I had gone to an antique mall, just a little tiny store, and I bought a brooch because I really liked it. Well, it came along with a receipt and a young lady. young lady stayed in my house for about two weeks until I took her back to the antique store and said, Honey, you need to stay here. I took the brooch back. But you took the it, to the brooch and hopefully the spirit. And, and the young lady, the because I've never seen her again. My goodness. So, I mean, spirits can attach themselves to anything. It does not have to be to a person, to a house. They can attach to anything. I'm intrigued. Why do you think that is? It could have been a favorite brooch of hers. Some type of sentimental value? Exactly. Right? It could have been sentimental. It could be something, say, a spirit's attached to a chainsaw. 
that may be a chainsaw, they killed him. They can attach themselves to anything. So it could be anything, perhaps in exactly. a case, a haunted road or a car or, exactly. or any type of tangible yeah. object. Because everything is made up of matter, is made up of energy. So that's what spirits feed off, is energy. So they'll attach themselves to anything. I'm curious, how has your family, you know, received this? They kind of, like, leave me alone with it. <laughs> they don't torment me or anything. I mean, my, my one niece and her husband, they'd love to go out with me sometime. My husband, he's, he'd like to hear the details, but he doesn't want to see any pictures. He doesn't want to hear any voices. He don't want to know nothing about it. Did you have a good time? Yeah. My daughter doesn't ask. Really? The only reason she was there that night is because she works for Allegheny Land Trust. Okay. She said she set up the whole program. I kind of get the feeling, though, that you, you like to work alone. You I enjoy do. doing do. what you do and how you investigate and how you prepare for these investigations. Kind of a one-woman show here. In a way, but you should never, ever go alone. No. Never. Why is that? For the simple fact, if you see something, someone's with you, you have backup. Somebody corroborate your story. If something happens to you, and I'm not saying spirit, say you fall down a pair of steps, you, know, you trip a cave, outside. cave comes down on exactly. your head. You're somewhere and something happens. Yes, you should never, ever go alone. You should always have at least one other person with you, just for safety's sake. How long do you think you're going to do this? Oh, until somebody's investigating me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going you're, you're gonna to maybe keep... <laughs> pass over, pass on, and then exactly. do the, give us some information, Craft. Exactly. Exactly. Becky Trafgalini for Cripple Creek Paranormal. Thank you very much for your time today, Becky. Oh, thank it you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure, me. and I hope you'll come back maybe in the future and see us again. I sure will, and I hope you come with us back to Dead Man's Hollow again this fall. Absolutely. You can count on it. It was an interesting time, well, and I'm sure I will. Open. I will definitely do so. Ladies and gentlemen, in conclusion, there's been many different legends associated with Dead Man's Hollow and just as many details. Probably just as many deaths come to think about it. We may never know how this area received its peculiar name, although in retrospection, the name might be quite fitting, Dead Man's Hollow. This has been your host, Tony Lavorna, for Tony Lavorna's Ledges and Lore, a part of the Social Voice Project. Give us a listen, give us a like. Thanks again, Becky. Thank you, Tony. you like what you've heard be sure to like rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app you are listening to a production of the social voice project I don't need to be treated now, like the this. people you have to work with, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I am so out of here. I am so out of here. At least he's not working with the people I work with. <laughs> Mine are all dead. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, he's tried to kill me. I don't know if they told you the story. They're going to dump me in Lake Erie, come over in the summer to look for a sea monster. Just, I just want the sound effects. Of you going in. That's all he wants. He just wants to hear me go plop in the water. This concludes our broadcast.